Hi, everyone who's listening. This is another episode of Hybrid Chats, uh, which I, Irina Jambazova, head of comms at Boundless, have with my partner in crime, John Reardon, chairman of Grow Remote. Um, today, uh, you are seeing me and listening to me from my home in Dublin. Um, John, where, where are we speaking with you today? Um, I am down in deepest West Cork, uh, right on the right overlooking the Atlantic. So you see kind of a tough view there, um, having to look out at the, the rain and the beach. But uh, yeah, good place to be to clear the mind every now and then. Perfect. Perfect day for the beach today, uh, yeah. seems like. Um, so, yes, we are um, doing our hybrid chats. And in this episode, as in the previous one, we are lucky that there's no shortage of uh, articles that we have come across in the last month um, that we're going to discuss over the next 15, 20 minutes. So, uh, first up, we have an article in Medium. Uh, which talks about why working in the office may not be a great thing. Um, the article is written by Michael Pristula. He is a managing director in intelligent and digital workplaces in Accenture. And some of the things he highlights are, you know, things that we've seen and things we know, things like commuting, uh, politics, distractions, no really surprises in there. But I'm curious, John, um, what were some uh, nuggets um, for you that um, stood out in this article? Look, I think the most telling line in, in, in this whole piece um, is that Michael states that, quote, the workplace is about people. And this is key. The last three years really has changed many people's views on work and work is no longer a place. So the term workplace to me really needs to be retired because there's work and there's place. They don't necessarily, they're not all rolled into one because it's an outcome. It's a, a series of outcomes. And perhaps the best way to phrase it is you probably want to call it an out, uh, output rather than outcomes. So for a lot of people, like I said, work isn't really a place any longer. So I would like for us to retire the word workplace. So then you go back to the, the main premise of what of Michael's article, and he talks about things like commuting. When there's pure flexibility in the workplace or an aspect of flexibility in the workplace, commuting is largely diminished. So that's an opportunity to defray that point of friction. Um, when you're in and out of an office on a, on a more flexible or more infrequent basis, it does strip away some aspects of office politics, which is another point that he talks about from a negativity perspective. Another thing he talked about was um, distractions and that is amongst the bad things in the office. Well, we've all discovered over the course of the last three years that one of the most significant benefits done correctly of this new flexibility in work is that you have this opportunity to get this kind of downtime um, this alone time and this deep thinking time, which essentially eliminates distractions. So in essence, while Michael does lay out, um, you know, some of those bad things about the office, like the commuting, the politics and the distractions, I think we all intuitively know and we've intuitively, intuitively experienced over the last couple of years um, that uh, a much more flex, a, a flexible approach to work 
has actually eliminated much of those uh, problems or obstacles. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good point you're making, and it's I love I love this idea that little by little we move away from place, you know, workplaces in you know the physical something where work is done, but it's more the output. But um, my feeling is it's going to be a couple of a, a couple of years maybe before before we before we get there. And interestingly enough, to counteract um, the medium article, we have another one from the New York Times. Um, uh, working from home is less healthy than you think. That's the title of the article. And it basically basically goes into highlighting some of the ills, kind of pun intended, of working from home. Again, no surprises here. You probably you may be moving less. Uh, you may mm -hmm. be more socially isolated. Uh, there may be a de de deterioration of mental health. You know, things we know are possible with some people, right? Um, interestingly here, the article actually ends up quoting a study. So isn't it, even though it's in the opinion piece, uh, it's in the opinion section, it's an opinion piece. It's not purely an opinion. It um, cites a study that was done from the Department of Human Studies in Libera Università in Rome, Italy last year. Um, and they were studying basically the impacts of COVID-19 and the working from home and how that impacted people. And their findings are very mixed. Yes, for some people, it did deteriorate their physical or mental health. In others, as you mentioned, gave them a lot more productivity. They felt better. They were actually more active, right? They actually, the less movement thing wasn't mm -hmm. a thing there because in the middle of the day, they'll go for a cycle or they go for a walk or a run or something. So while the study gives these mixed results, the article, even though kind of the very end talks about, yeah, maybe there, for some people it's okay. The majority of the article talks about the struggles, you know, remote work, working from home is the struggle. You will be less motivated. You will be let, you know, you'll be isolated and all that. And I don't like these absolutes, especially given that the cornerstone of the article is a study that proves it's not an absolute truth. Um, why do you think when we talk about work from home, so much of what's out there is about struggle. It's about, it's so hard. Why, why is it so difficult to bring these more nuanced views? Well, let's look at, um, at the very essence of newspaper articles. And we are all well used to the term clickbait. You're much more likely to read an article if it has um, a catchy headline that says something like, uh, remote work's not good. Right, because you'll be, oh, I'm gonna tune in to read it. Okay, so I, th I think what we need to really understand here is that when you pair back and look at the research that the um, that uh, Libera Universita did, they actually portrayed, they looked at both sides of it and talked about things that were better and things that were worse. We all know examples of people, for example, during during the pandemic who are um, still a year or two later complaining about the pandemic belly because they became more sedentary. But then you have people on the other side who are saying, hey, I got totally shredded through COVID-19 because I had the opportunity to get myself fit. But one of them is going to sell a whole lot more newspapers, and that is talking about the negative. And we know that. I mean, unfortunately, um, you know, bloodshed sells, you know, bloodshed sells newspapers and sells sells articles and is 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 a point of clickbait 
you know, and I think we, we need to realize that. So, yes, there are struggles and challenges and we need to be balanced. Look, you know, work, work as they, they say, work is a four letter word ending in K. It's because it's hard. OK, it's not it's not all a bed of roses. And it is it is important that we lean into articles that actually look at both the challenges as well as the benefits. So take, for example, I'm going to flip this on its head a little bit. We talk, There's been a lot of discussion in the last year or two about remote work being um, detrimental to mental health. Well, I want to cast your mind back five or six years when there was way less discussion on mental health at work. So actually, I think we're in a far better situation now where there is an actual open and honest dialogue about mental health in the workplace. And I think we've moved on as a society and as a working society, we've moved on a whole lot more in that this is a topic that is getting discussed. So if the price of all of this kind of what I would call gentle negativity that's in uh, the articles that are being published and the clickbait that, that is required to get people to open articles, if the upshot of that is that some of these topics like mental health and social interaction and movement, if that's what's required to get them to be talked about more often, I think that's a compromise I'm willing to actually accept. Controversial at all as it is, I think it's a, it's a compromise I'm, I'm happy with. I, I, I agree with you. And I think, yeah, it's, debate is always debate is is always uh, always a good thing but i like the point you're making that you know sometimes as we read articles we need to remember that the title needs to be um yeah bloodshed to to um to sell but it's not necessarily um uh, fully true um and it, and it's an interesting point you're making right like when we talk about struggles um, and, you know, how far is that true? There is one very significant uh, number of um, a group of the population that is definitely not struggling. It is most definitely thrive, thriving, and that's people with disabilities. Um, we, um, there was a study done last year. The results were published in Bloomberg in October that pretty much the numbers of people with disabilities that are back in the workforce are kind of at the same level as they were when before the crisis in 2008, when every, the economy was thriving. Um, that's the sort of impact that's, that, that it's having. Um, um, I think the numbers were 37.6% of labor force participation uh, at the point of August of last year. That is huge. So when we talk about struggles um, and who's struggling, you know, it's, a, you know, people that actually like to work alone and have a way of uh, organizing their day, they won't be struggling, and certainly people with disabilities. And that's why when you look at other articles, like the announcement that JP Morgan made, that they are now making um, all leaders come to the office five days a week, no exceptions made. Or when you look at articles like the one in the Telegraph, which is basically proclaiming work from home dead. Yep. Um, that's when we start having problems because 
these are, you know, this isn't the trend. This isn't these companies, JP Morgan, or in the case of um, the article from the Telegraph, it's really looking at big tech and what big tech has done three years ago. They were all for pandemic, uh, all for pandemic. They were not all for pandemic. They were all for remote work during the pandemic. Three years later, now all of a sudden, one by one, they're all reversing it for various reasons that we're going to get to in a second. Um, but then we make these trends. It's a struggle. It's dying. That's it. Doesn't make sense to me. So let me let me deal with the first point. Uh, I'll deal with the disabilities, and we'll talk about J.P. Morgan Chase. Okay. Um, so the the data that you're referencing from Bloomberg said that the labor force participation for people with disabilities in the U.S. was up to 38%, But what we really need to look at is that means that there's 62% of, um, uh, sorry, there's a a significant number of people with disabilities who are not participating actively in the labor force. Now, I'm going to go back 20 years in my career. The, the, The first time I got involved with remote work was with a company that was based in Florida. And the basic premise of the company, uh, about five years before I joined, was to enable people with disabilities and those who were marginalized to to access employment. So this is an ongoing long-term issue. So if you draw a line from kind of 25 years ago to now, one of the single biggest enablers of people joining the labor force has been piping work into their homes. In other words, taking out that really difficult point of friction, which is the commute, which has a myriad of different challenges um, all along the way that actually cause people to prop, to, to put, put barriers in place to make it really difficult for people to work. Piping the work into the home is a whole lot easier. So really, I'm not surprised that the that labor force participation is on for, amongst the disability community is, is rising. And long may that continue, because I think um, all aspects of remote work and hybrid work and distributed work um, will underpin and will be an even bigger foundation stone for that. So let's go on to J.P. Morgan Chase and and the work mandate, Um, return to office mandate, all managers need to come back five days a week, blah, blah, blah. yeah, one could surmise that there are not people with disabilities at JP Morgan, and I'm sure somebody from JP Morgan Chase would love to actually say that's actually not the case, and we do this and we do that. But clearly, they're not making a long-term play to um, to facilitate and really grow the numbers of people with disabilities in their organization. They're willing to to deal with the status quo, I, I, and, and I, I that's their choice as a business. I don't necessarily agree with it. What I where I do disagree significantly is this uh, mandatory return, this RTO return to office mandate of five days a week. Now, that's their choice as a leadership team, and I think we need to be balanced for a second. It's really easy to start throwing stones at J.P. Morgan Chase and say, "Oh, they're all wrong. They're all wrong." Typically, in a situation where with a lot of flux like we have right now, you have a large cohort of companies heading to the right, moving towards a um, more flexible off work offerings, um, 
incorporating hybrid, allowing people to work some aspects of remote, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the herd is basically going in that direction and for the betterment of society. What that always opens up, and we must never forget this, it opens up a seam over here on the left-hand side, and I'm not talking left and right politically, I'm just saying on the other side, for organizations to actually go, hang on a second, we can corner a piece of this market by being very much not like the others. So I think the JP Morgan Chases and the, some of the finance houses particularly that have always been very office-based and always very financial district, CBD, you know, central business district related, it's easy for them uh, also because the average salaries in those organizations are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's kind of easier to mandate a, a, uh, a requirement when, when, when salaries are at that range. Um, it, it's easy enough, not easy enough. It is valid for them to be able to enforce those policies and call, and require people to come in because they're probably not going to see that level, a quick level of attrition. It's hard for people to wander away from a quarter of a million dollar a year job just willy nilly. I mean, just, they're not available on the, the, the street corner as, as widely as other jobs. So I'm not surprised that they're making that play. There is one other aspect of this that we must not forget is that a lot of these mandates are coming from uh, financial, financial institutions. And one of the things that underpins what a lot of financial, financial institutions are built upon is their loan book. And their loan book is heavily invested in real estate. So if they give a strong message to the markets that they are that they are not that they're not bullish on on real estate, it's giving a very weak signal to the marketplace. So to a certain extent, they're protecting their own um, their own balance sheet by continuing to propagate the the I won't say the myth, but propagate the story that the central business district is alive and well. So I think. You know, and just to underpin all of that, let's have a look at some data. Let's re refer to some data. So we've talked about it on this these discussions before. The oracle of all data is Nick Bloom and WFH Research. And they've shown that the number of people, the number of days being worked remote has settled around the 30% mark with, you know, a good chunk of people working full-time remote, a good chunk, a very large group of people, about 40 to 50% of people working fully remote, fully in office, and then this fairly sizable cohort that is flexible. Okay, so where does that lead into in terms of what people are doing? Well, the best barometer of that is the, um, the card swipe data, which is the Castle data, K-A-S-T-L-E, which Nick refers to in all of his research. And one of the great things about the Castle data is it shows the number of people who are coming into offices in the major cities in the U.S. And we know that number is, is, is way down from what it used to be. But below that, that doesn't really, that just shows people coming into the office, the actual utilization, the in-office desk utilization. In other words, how long is that desk actually being used? The best uh, piece of information for that is a company called Relogix, and that's also referenced in some of the research. And that's about half the level of the occupancy. So the occupancy might be might be at, at the 30% mark, but the actual utilization is around the 15% mark. So, you know, clearly, 
clearly these return to office mandates are very dangerous uh, across a whole industry. They might well work for one in one company. But if you're a journalist and you listen to what JP Morgan Chase is saying, and you decide to make a proclamation that remote work is dead just because one company has said they're going to go back to the office, you're missing a vast amount of data that would indicate that people are not going back in their droves to the central business districts, right? And the one other piece of information that is not work-related that fits underneath all of this again is cell phone usage. And there's some very interesting data that talks about the cell phone usage in the major cities in the US between the fall of 2019 and the fall of 2022, right? So you have to assume that the the fact that there's a 32% decrease in cell phone activity would equate to approximately 32% less people in the central business districts between the fall of 2019 and the fall of 2022. And just in case anybody thinks that's bullshit, go and have a look at the public transportation data. And that actually supports the fact that people aren't there because they're not traveling there, which means they're not using their mobile phones, which means they're not necessarily in the desks and they're not necessarily swiping in. So despite what companies like the JP Morgan Chases of the world are saying, that we're demanding everybody reports back, people are not coming back. And before you read an article and say, oh, everybody's coming back just because JP Morgan Chase says they are, the data does not support the proclamation that it's that I'm commanding people to do it. So I think this is a a building that has a foundation of quicksand and I'm quite interested to watch how this plays out over the next couple of years a long time more to play in this absolutely agree with you and and I, and I think you're you're making a good point ultimately every company has its own re- its own reasons why it's bringing the mandates to come to the office yes it's more than just JP Morgan, uh, the foundation of the um, proclamation that the Telegraph is making is actually based on big tech. We know big tech has the tendency of uh, speaking very loudly um, and creating the sense that what the five big companies do must be what the entire tech industry is doing, which is very much not the case. Um, so you know, it's up to journalists to decide, you know, who they're going to listen to when they make proclamations. But ultimately, and the reason why we started this in the first place, is the average Joe that has, you know, a 20 people company or a 50 people company and is trying to make a decision, what's the best way to go forward for my people, for my business? And they hear all of this coming from JP Morgan and Meta and Google and, um, you know, whatever company. Essentially, the the advice for them is, yes, you can hear what these companies are doing, but you can also see the data, as you mentioned, Nick Bloom's um, cell phone data, transportation data, and then decide, you know, ultimately who has the, um, the, the last call. And I think it was in last episodes when we spoke about Allstate, 
and all state. What I loved about the way they uh, look at this is they treat their employee as their customer. What does this employee want? What does this customer want? What they want, this is what we're ultimately going to do. Um, and I suppose to kind of end on, 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 a, on a good news in terms of uh, Cork, where, where you, you, you are, um, uh, you're sitting in right now, but also in terms of you know, something that shows that some companies don't believe work from home is dead. Zoom uh, recently acquired WorkVivo, which is a employee experience provider. Um, and the argument is that probably one of the reasons Zoom decided to make the acquisition is, is it tries to become more than just a video conferencing tool, but rather to facilitate more and better communication um, in a remote work um, setting, um, that this would be uh, an addition to um, its offering. What do you make of the acquisition, John? I think it's very exciting. Um, I think you absolutely, you're, you're spot on on this, is that you know, uh, video conferencing as a tool is, is kind of, is, has got to become a very, or is a very busy market. And while Zoom advanced significantly and became a verb in, in March, 2020, just because, you know, their, their market cap um, exploded. I think they got to about 160 billion, which is an enormous market capitalization. I think they're back down in around the 25 million mark roughly, I think at the moment, um, which is kind of probably more realistic. Um, I think what it shows is that the the there was a, an element of hype as to what the overall video platforming uh, industry was going to going to become. Um, it also attracted an awful lot of other people. So to me, uh, and I have no knowledge in this space. This is just kind of uh, idle speculation. It would indicate to me that uh, that it's a, a smart play from Zoom to add a bunch of other really important long-term employee engagement pieces to their artillery. And it's great to see an indigenous Irish company that has grown quite rapidly over the course of four or five years or five or six years, should I say, um, and to have them being acquired by, by a very large company like Zoom is, uh, it should warm the cockles of the hearts of a lot of folks in the Irish entrepreneurial arena that we can and do attract um, de very, very strong investments. And uh, it, it augurs well for the Irish ecosystem. So all of the people who are involved in, a, in, in the ecosystem that is the Irish entrepreneurial scene um, should be proud of this. Uh, and nobody should be prouder of this than, uh, than John Goulding and Joe Lennon from WorkVivo, who've done a fantastic job with WorkVivo. Absolutely. And hopefully once the acquisition happens and uh, the two products merge, then if there's people struggling with remote work or feeling not as connected, you know, hopefully that will be um, addressed as well. Anyways, thank you, John, so much. I think this is all the time we have for the myth busting of this month. Um, as always, uh, if you have any interesting news that you come across, uh, Please share them with John or myself. Um, give us your commentary. We would love to hear your thoughts on um, all of these news, data, opinions. Uh, again, no shortage of them. Um, so we're always happy to discuss uh, more things. But for now, thanks very much. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.